The Seattle Seahawks won their second straight game on Sunday, sprinting away from the Carolina Panthers in the second half. Joining us to break down the victory and preview the upcoming Monday night showdown with the Giants is 710 Seattle Sports radio host, Stacy Rost. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my prodigious producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? We are great, Jackson. We are almost through the first month of the NFL season. I have no idea how that happened, but, you know, we're back home, we're recording, and uh, yeah, man, all is right in the world. How are you? Uh, I'm doing amazing, man. It's good to be home again after spending most of the last two plus weeks in Palm Springs and Phoenix. Fall fell. It's my favorite time of the year. And the Seahawks are cooking. They are. They are cooking. They're two and one. I think that that is probably the number, the record that we were looking for through three weeks. It's not yeah. necessarily the permutation that we thought that they would embark on to get there. But uh, we're here. I'm a results-based guy. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Throw the process out the window, baby. Always. Yeah, you know, the Seahawks kept the good times rolling. They pulled away from the Panthers in the second half of Sunday's game. And they head into their Monday night matchup with the Giants on a two-game win streak. We're going to break down the victory and preview that showdown. But first, I want to remind everyone that we've partnered with one of the most prestigious cigar manufacturers in the world to release the official Cigar Thought cigars. You can order them directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf. Or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram and we'll send you the details directly. The feedback on these cigars so far has been overwhelming. As we've mentioned before, a box of 10 of these cigars would normally go for between $350 to $400, but our partnership allows you to get your own bundle of 10 for just $169. That's less than half of MSRP, and the cigars come with a Bavita humidification pack and a Mylar storage bag to make sure they stay fresh whether you have a humidor or not. We also appreciate the love y'all have given our YouTube channel, where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show, including this one. This is one of the best ways you can help Cigar Thoughts grow, so we're grateful for the few seconds you can take to subscribe and like the video. Man, I tell you, Mike, the NFL is crazy. We saw the Cardinals beat the Cowboys, the Texans waxed the Jaguars, the Dolphins hung 70 on the Broncos, and a bunch of other crazy shit happened this week. It's a reminder that we don't really know what's going to happen and that every win should be cherished, even if it's against a struggling team like the Panthers. And joining us to break it all down is the co-host of the Bump and Stacy show on 710 Seattle Sports and one of our very favorite people to talk to. She is Stacy Rost. Stacy, thanks for coming on. I'm going to start listening to the beginning and end of every podcast to make sure that you don't ever introduce another guest as one of our favorite people. Because you know what I mean? I, yep. like, I'm just going to be following up to be like, the, uh-huh. oh, now he's the favorite? Uh-huh. Now that's who it is? Yeah. Well, that's what, you just know. letting you guys know. I'm going to be auditing a lot of these. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, <laughs> we will lay our track record bare Great. for you. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really appreciate you having on, especially after uh, a long day of talking sports. Uh, yeah, I'm, I am happy, always happy to join you guys. Always a great time. Yeah. Well, we love having you and and Stacy, this was a big week for the Seahawks and not just because they had a game on Sunday. This was the week they celebrated the 10th anniversary of the 2013 Super Bowl winning team. 
they had events and appearances with a lot of guys from that roster in the days leading up to the game. The hype always seems high around the VMAC, but did it feel like there was some extra juice with all those guys here this week? Um, we didn't actually get, we went out to the VMAC Thursday and kept it pretty in-house with the huddle. I would say that the vibe from the people we talked to, so obviously the morning show had KJ, we had Doug on. Um, I think it's just, it was a, from the limited exposure, I got more reflective than like hype and yeah, here we go, but just kind of like an appreciative. And that might've been the tone that we got from Baldwin. So when we talked to Doug, it was in part because of um, all of those guys participating in uh, part of driving volunteerism for food drives. So he already Mm -hmm. is in a mindset of like, you know, hey, giving back to the community and we're all still here and we've all stuck around. But even then the conversation just kind of naturally went to like, hey, all of you guys, are from different areas. Like, you know, Sherm, you're from California. Doug, you're from Florida. Cliff's from Florida. Like, they're all from all over the place. A lot of you guys stayed here. Like, you yeah. know, you might, you know, Sherm has, might have a house elsewhere or whatever, but a lot of these guys chose to raise their families, have their kids, get married, get their homes here. And, um, how remarkable him, for a dying city. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I, I really was. That has always been one of the most fascinating things to me because. When I first started covering the team, a lot of the guys would do their training elsewhere. And what I didn't quite understand when I first started, because I was in like my early 20s, is how much of those guys have specialized training. So they're not just leaving because they don't want to be here. They're leaving to go back home, but also like they're paying some guy a lot of money to like (laughs) train him in the off season. But I kind of came up uh, while that team was really successful, assuming all these guys are going to leave. Like they're going to, they're going to be great. They're going to have fun. But like, you're going to go back home to Texas. You're going to go back home to Florida. You're going to go to the East Coast. You're going to find, um, you know, a job with ESPN as a, as a talking head. And you're going to go live in Connecticut or whatever. And it's been really cool to listen to, you know, Cliff's talked to us about this. Doug has talked to us about this. How much they've adopted Seattle as a home for so many of them. Like, there's such a genuine tone to a lot of that. Like, I truly, truly think that for Doug, who didn't grow up here, he sees it as like Seattle's my neighborhood and like this is my home and my community. And so how am I helping? It was very cool. Yeah. Well, you feel it when you see these guys at practice and you hear the players talk about having them around and then, you know, they've been chatting with each other on each other's podcasts and with yeah. Carol and, you know, like they went through the shit together too. You know, I mean, like they had this amazing run put together one of the most talented rosters in recent NFL mm-hmm. history. And then like, almost broke. And I think a lot of the guys did break. And they so did. to still be there on the other side of that is really, really remarkable, especially with, you know, the way that some of these guys left. Oh, there are relationships I never thought would heal. Like I never thought that like Richard Sherman and Pete Carroll would be sitting down for a podcast. And this is knowing that like Sherm had gone into media and had clearly like, he's, he's matured, he's grown. Like he's a father. Like, you know what I mean? He's not 25 anymore, but I just assumed based on things that I had heard that that locker room was so fractured after Super Bowl 49, that there were relationships and wounds that would never heal. And I think that a lot of those have, and it came with time. It came with years of, you know, going to different teams or being traded or being released or whatever. But like, you guys, it was not that long ago that Sherm was on a podcast talking about how the Seahawks have lost their way. Oh yeah, It was not that long ago that Earl was getting carted off the field, flipping the bird to the sideline. Granted, he wasn't, part of the festivities here but like i thought wow the 30 for 30 about this team will be about them going out uh you know with uh 
kind of like a whimper. And it's, yeah. it's not going to be this lovey-dovey thing at the end. And lo and behold, that's exactly what this week was. You mentioned time, but it's got to be more than that. I mean, lots of broken relationships have time and never heal, yeah. right? Yeah. Do you, do you think it's like a credit to the culture yes. of the Pete Carroll era Seahawks? Yeah? Yeah, I do. Especially I think with some of these guys going to other teams and realizing it's not like this yep. everywhere. I think that that's part of it. So I think part of it is... Uh, Yes, like for guys uh, that went to other organizations. I mean, I know that like, you know, like Luke Wilson went to Detroit. You go from where it's really, really fun. I think he talked about this since coming back. But like, go to Detroit. You think it's going to be fun. You are with like the worst head coach at the time, Matt Patricia, (laughs) which was like no fun ever. (laughs) But no fun allowed. Um, And you realize like, oh, like I might think that Pete Carroll gets a little, you know, uh, repetitive with some of his, you know, stuff about sticking together, but like you kind of have to, that's kind of the point. And you kind of, you know, it might get stale, but then find a new way to buy in and believe, or just be appreciative of it if it works for you, because it isn't like that everywhere. And I think too, you know, part of it was, um, I, I wondered if part of it is being the subject of some of that criticism. Like I wondered if for Richard Sherman, for instance, if part of it was leaving and being like, oh, now I'm in the media and I kind of get like now that I can see players in the mis- in the mistakes or decisions that they make and I'm older, I'm I'm thinking about some of the mistakes and decisions that I made. Yeah. I also think it's like, again, when we talked to Doug, he pointed to specifically their um, their president of communications who's worked with a lot of these guys. And we were like, hey, how'd you kind of get into giving back and stuff? You know, was that unique to this culture? And he was like yeah, they care about you as people. Like they care about you as men. And I got to give it, he gave a shout out to his name's Dave Pearson. He was like, I got to give a shout out to Dave Pearson. Cause I don't think I, I went back and forth with him at the time. And I don't think I always realized that like they're doing it cause they care. Sure. We yeah. also forget that these guys are in their twenties, right? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. I, I think about me in my twenties, like we're so, we're so hard on them. Right. Cause you know, we're fans yeah. or we cover the team or we talk or write about them. And we're like, oh, you didn't do your job or you're a bust or whatever, you know, people say. And it's like, man, I'm thinking about what a dipshit I was in my 20s. You know, it's like, of course, of course, these guys are going to be able to mature and and look back and 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 see how good it probably was taken as a whole. Thankfully, you're still a dipshit. Yeah, fair enough. We are grateful (laughs) for that. (laughs) <laughs> I, I am I am still a dipshit, just more grays in the beard now. It is really wild, though. Just I was thinking about this. I'm not even kidding. It's funny you say it. I was thinking about it watching one of the Monday Night Football games where I was like, everyone I'm watching was born in like 2000. And like, yeah. they're all some of the best yeah. athletes to play this game. They're all making a ton of money. Not everyone. But like, it's the whole league is circulated around guys that are like between 21 and 28 most of the time. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. But you know, as far as the actual game goes, I thought this was a really, really interesting one. And Mm -hmm. you know, there's a ton to get to with it. And for the first half, it seemed like it was going to be a bit of a grinder. Uh, The Seahawks ended up opening it up over the final two quarters. They scored three touchdowns after the five field goals to start. And they ended up winning fairly comfortably. The offense has received a lot of credit for that, but I want to start on the other side of the ball. Love it. The Seahawks defense has been something of an inverse from what we saw last year. They've been excellent against the run in 2023, but each game has shown some breakdowns in the secondary. What's been your impression of how the defense played on Sunday? Um, I think that they looked more like a bend, don't break. It's not a unique opinion. I feel like it's what a lot of people have been saying, but it's one of the 
many conversations I was having with people after the game. Week one was bend and break. Like you allowed, you know, 400 plus net yards. And the conversation that we've all been having about the Seahawks over all these years is like, well, if you allow a ton of yards, but then don't allow a ton of points, then maybe the yards are okay. The problem is when you allow a ton of yards, you let them convert up third down, you allow 30 points. Nothing about that is like shutting down any part of the field. It's just getting your butt whooped. This one, (laughs) granted, Andy Dalton threw like how many, 57, 58 times. So he's going to get his yardage. But you had explosive plays from an offense that has not had a lot of them. Mm -hmm. You had um, a lot of passing yards from an offense that has not had a ton of success with their wide receivers and, and with their offensive line. But you also mostly kept them out of the end zone. Like they found the red zone once until the final couple minutes of, uh, of the game. So, I mean, it's not the most stress-free way to watch a defense. Right. <laughs> it is, however, I thought an improvement, a, a pretty notable improvement from week one. Yeah, I think for me, the fact that they've been good against the run is the most encouraging thing because that is I the agree. worst way to watch your team lose. Ugh. Like that, that Falcons lost, the Raiders lost, the Panthers lost. These were not good teams last year. And they whooped Seattle by just running. Like you knew it was coming. You knew every play was going to take another 40 to 50 seconds off of the clock. And it's just maddening to watch Mm -hmm. this year. They've been excellent against that. I mean, yeah, they gave up three touchdowns on the ground in, in week one when things were kind of falling apart. One yard, two yards, but they were exactly, that's exactly right. You know? And, and I thought this game, provided like such a perfect contrast because Carolina came to Seattle last year and they ran for 223 yards in that game. They had 44 in this one. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, the other thing Seattle struggled with last year was getting pressure on the quarterback. They couldn't do it in week one. They were pretty good about it in week two this week. And I saw this today from Hawk blogger on Twitter. They led the NFL with 36 pressures on Sunday. Wow. They were getting to Andy Dalton two out of every three dropbacks, which is really, really impressive and very encouraging. Very encouraging. That's a great stat from Brian. I love that. And I know that the Panthers offensive offensive line had struggled, right? Mm -hmm. But they didn't allow that to other teams. I mean, I think, I think people are having a little bit of um, a very understandable panic when it comes to the defense. You see a defense that has been in the bottom third of the league in in points or in scoring or whatever for the last couple of years you see a season start like that and you think, here we go again. It's here different. we go again. Right. Like it, it, it feels a little bit different. Now there are certain issues that keep, you know, cropping up or rather there are things that happen multiple times in a game. Like they were getting beat over the middle constantly yeah. from the Rams. Um, and you've seen it crop up just a little bit too in the next two games. But like it's, I was wondering if, um, because the Panthers want to spread the ball around to a lot of their different targets. I was wondering if we'd see a lot more to Hurst, a lot more uh, in the pass game to Sanders, because I was like, of course they're going to find a way to take advantage of those flat routes or take advantage of the middle of the field. And you didn't really see that. Like they, they improved there. So I, all you can ask right now is for improvement. Really important to note that they haven't had the healthy version of this defense yet. And people will look at it and they'll be like, I cannot tell you how many texts a week we get saying Jamal Adams is washed <laughs> or like Jamal Adams is a bum. Yeah. I disagree with it wholeheartedly, but I think people just, they're burnt out. They're, they're mad that he can't play. And so they hate the trade, but like, right. What does the defense look like with him out there? Better. 
the answer is better. Absolutely. We're going to find out. Well, we, we are <laughs> yeah. finally going to find yeah, out. Gonna, we are finally going to find out. Because the, <laughs> the thing is, is like, that is a pretty common fan sentiment. And I get it. Like, I push back on it because I don't agree. But I understand where totally. it's coming from. And he's a bit of a victim of the cost of the acquisition. Yep. But and and he hasn't been available, and I don't think that's because he's not tough enough or any of that stuff. He's 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 played through more injuries than the yeah. ones that have kept him out. But everyone we've had on this show that's close to the team is like, yeah, Jamal Adams is the difference maker for this team. Yeah. And then it's it's you know the folks who aren't as close who are like, ah, he's washed, he's a bum, like you were saying. You know, one thing about the pressures that I was thinking about today getting ready for the show. And and I thought about it a little bit as it's right in the article after the game too, they were able, I think to get that much pressure on Andy Dalton one. Yes. They threw a ton of pass attempts, so mm-hmm. that's going to give you more opportunities. But when you're stopping the run, you yep. can rush with more conviction, right? Because yeah. you're in a situation where you realize, okay, they're not getting yards on the ground. They're going to have to throw it here. You're seeing more second and 10 second and eights. You're seeing third and sevens and third and 11s. And with all the penalties that the crowd helped induce lots of third and 14s. And like, then you get to just rush. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, what's fun for these guys. Instead of being like, well, it's third and two, you know, we got to make sure that we just fill this gap here. Yeah. So I, I do think that, you know, every, everything is connected to each other in football. I think it's really, especially true on defense, but you know, we've been talking about kind of the overarching scheme stuff and how they've played as a unit. We saw some pretty impressive individual standouts in mm-hmm. this game. And I can't wait to talk about Devin Witherspoon, but doing so would overshadow how good Jaron Reed was. Jaron Reed might've played the best game of his career on Sunday. I will be the first to raise my hand and admit that I did not expect a huge year from Jaron Reed. Like Same. I, Jaron Reed was the last and Frank Clark the last two defensive linemen to get double-digit sacks, the last two players, yeah. period, to get double-digit sacks for this team. So there is that kind of difference you can clearly see from when those two departed. Um, but he just kind of – he didn't find the same success, you know, whether it was with the Chiefs, Green Bay, wherever right. else. And so when he came back, I thought – my uh, full disclosure, my initial, initial reaction was, are they nervous about Cam Young at nose and so they're just bringing back someone that they know – can like help out a little bit and and this guy is gonna maybe work like a like a backup plan nope he it, it turns out that he is still really really solid and uh man what a difference even just a couple weeks makes when you've got a new defensive line too i think people see is see it as an excuse and i understand why you think it's just coach speak but i really do think that hurt and carol mean it when they talk about how important it is that these guys get new reps together each week. Mm-hmm. They haven't been playing together. Mm-hmm. Like you look at some of the best defenses around the league. What do a lot of them have in common? Continuity. Like they're the same. Exactly. Continuity. They're the same guys coming back more often than not the same defensive coordinators. And they're the same guys in the most important parts of the defense right up front. When you're learning the guy next to you, like it's not just about, Oh, I'm going to learn, uh, you know, his tendencies. It's like, I need to learn to trust him. I need to learn when to let him go. Cause I know that he's going to be able to get to this and I, and I know what he can do. Like it's such a, I, I never played, so I don't fully understand this, but I think it's still even then such a misunderstood and underrated part of playing together. is just knowing each other, yeah. like knowing what the guy next to you is capable of. These guys don't fully know that yet. A lot of them have never played together. 
No, you're you're absolutely right. And a lot of times with defensive linemen, especially interior defensive linemen, their impact doesn't get captured in the box score. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the case for Reed in this game. He had eight tackles, which is like a monster number for an interior defensive lineman. And two of them were like eight or 10 yards downfield. So it's not like, oh, hey, I didn't make the play in the backfield. Yeah, I clean it up. It's like, like he's turning stuff. around and running down. I mean, he knocked Miles Sanders out of the game 10 yards downfield at one point, but he had a sack and a half. He had three QB hits. He had two tackles for a loss. So he's doing it, but it freed up, you know, Boye Mafe is really coming into his own. And I I think that's not only just the second year leap and kind of understanding what it's like to be an NFL player, but also to your point, like he's getting production from guys around him that wasn't there when he was a rookie. I'm so glad you mentioned Boye Mafe too. Like I, uh, I know that we headed into the season looking at uh, at Daryl Taylor and Uchenna Nwosu being like, okay, it's these two guys, and then who's gonna you know find themselves kind of behind them? But like, I have loved what Boye Mafe has quietly been doing to to start the season, and he's been like, uh, wasn't he like nursing a little bit of an injury too? Yeah. Kind of you know being able to come back out. Like I I really really like him a lot. So I'm, I'm excited to see how he progresses. I'm really excited to see him against New York. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he's kind of a, you know, Mike pointed this out on Twitter, I think yesterday, but he's kind of a forgotten piece of the all caps trade, yes. you know, and, yeah. and the fact that, that he is becoming, like Mike said, a legitimate edge player in the NFL, if that's who he is, I mean, it's just blessings upon blessings for this team. It's so funny how that trade has continued to develop. I know that we're going to get back to the Seahawks, but like when it first happened, it was like, you guys got Drew Locke. What are you going to do with him? And then you have some first rounders. And now you look back. Yeah, and you're everyone like, was like, it's yes. Russell Wilson for Drew Locke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember I went on like um like a ESPN radio and, and very understandably, that's how they were talking about it. Because if I was not in Seattle, I would not have understood oh, Pete Carroll's love of, of Geno Smith. He loves Geno Smith. And we were talking about it, and I was like, I mean, they got Geno Smith, too. And I think that's what every reporter here was saying, right? I wasn't unique in doing that. They were like, well, there's also Geno Smith, and there's also all these other guys. And they also, like, have never had picks this high. What are they going to do with yeah. number nine? Um, and it was so fun, but it's, uh, man, like, I love Noah Fan. What Shane Waldron is doing with the tight ends this year, so it was good. such an underrated missing aspect to the offense for such a long time. And I love incorporating them more. And you'll look at some of the most explosive plays this year and best drives this year have been with those guys incorporated. He's part of that too. Yeah. Well, and what may end up being the biggest piece of that trade is who Seattle took at number five. Right. And you, you were live with us when that happened. <laughs> was I was like shocked. The, the viral moment from, from this podcast when, when they took Devin Witherspoon and you know, I was, quite visibly excited at the time yeah. because I I fell in love with him. Once I started to hear some whispers that they liked him at the combine, I was like, I don't really know who this guy is. I started watching him play. I was like, Holy shit. He's amazing. Like, <laughs> this guy is different. And like, and like I said in the article on Sunday, you know, he plays with the juice that I don't think we've seen from a Seattle defender since the team that they were honoring this week. Like he is ferocious out there. Check this. He was targeted 11 times in this game. Like they made a point early to go after him and they got him a couple of times and then after that nothing on 11 targets he allowed three catches for 19 yards broke up two passes and still led the team with 11 tackles yeah i love you mentioning first of all 
just the actual demeanor, the physicality, the edge. I can't wait for that reason to see him and Jamal when Jamal is fully healthy, oh which God. like, even though Pete Carroll says no restrictions for this week, I think we're all kind of right. Like expecting a version of like, are you going to be in there as part of this three safety look and not necessarily replacing Julian? We'll see what happens. Right. But like those two guys have juice, like they have it. And yep. I always hate talking about like, Oh, that edge or that like, you know, dog mentality is missing from a defense because those guys are out there. They're balling out like they're trying their hardest. Who am I to sit here and say that? But like, hey, as a fan who watched this defense in 2012, 13, 14, and then now, if I'm honest with myself, there is sometimes that like chippiness that's missing and that that literal like without no pun intended, like that boom that's missing. And I think I agree with you a thousand percent. I think Devin brings it. And I loved, um, I m- initially made fun of him because uh, it's so easy to do. But Michael Bumpus, uh, when we were talking about the game, said, hey, my one word to describe, um, you know, Witherspoon from this weekend is geometry. And I said, that's such a dumb word. Why did you, <laughs> why did you choose geometry? What? I thought you were going to say like, <laughs> or like, tough. and he said, because he understands angles. in a way that I have rarely seen from a rookie defensive back. And I think that that is something that, uh, and this is what he's saying, I think that that's something that can take years to develop. It's how you let big plays get away from you. It's literally, it sounds silly, but like understanding the best angle to take something right away is such a gift. And that's what you get when you have five overall versus, you know, hey, we found this guy in the third round. That that's exactly it. And, and it allows you to play with the fierceness, with the ferocity that you can't, when you're thinking about your angle, right? Like if you have that innate understanding of the angle that you need to take of that geometry, then you just get to pin the ears back Mm -hmm. and go. And that that's all his college tape is, is, is him doing that. And he doesn't seem blinded by the lights one bit at this level. No. And I loved, um, other people were uh, tweeting about this and there was a video that came out about it. I couldn't tell if it was him at first, but during the uh, uh, week one opener, when everyone Mm -hmm. was still in a good mood, uh, this is maybe two minutes into the game. This guy was one of the most hyped players on the sideline. There wasn't this kind of like, I'm a rookie. I should, I'm just going to be here and I'm just going to hang out quietly. I mean, this guy was hyping everyone up. He was lifting up his arms. He was waving to the crowd, like, you know, waving to like get them to be loud. Like he's ready to go. He was ready to go week one. And, uh, I, I have, um, and I'm, I don't know if you guys have done this, obviously been watching a lot of Jalen Carter and it's a very natural thing. Like the Seahawks made the decision and they made what was right for them. But there's still a part of you that's going to be curious because, I mean, um, we we spoke with uh, uh, Devin's college coach, and even he was like, the cameras, because he was in the green room with, with Devin, he was like, the cameras were trained on another player. The other player was Jalen. Like, the, the cameras were trained on Jalen Carter when the Seahawks were making their pick to get the reaction. They didn't even initially get the reaction from Witherspoon because they didn't think they'd take him. Yeah. So, obviously, you're going to naturally watch him. Even despite the stellar start to his career that Jalen is having, I feel fine. Like I, 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 yeah. I have loved what we've seen from Witherspoon. I really have. Well, you know, we had Danny Kelly on last week, and he was saying, "Look, if we get ten years down the road, and there have been no off-field issues or practice issues with Jalen Carter, then yeah, okay, you tip yeah. your hat and and 
nice pick, you, you re- right? Maybe you relitigate the pick. But my guess is we're not going to look back on the Devin Witherspoon pick and be like, man, they really blew that one, right? You know, I think we're going to end up seeing two really good players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and if Carter came here, he is the defensive line. Over there, he's like one of eight dudes that yeah, he can do more damage. The, the possibility, you know, he's only playing 50% of the snaps there. And so he's he's full go every time. So, you know, it's in the same way that, you know, for the first year, it was almost impossible to talk about Gino without talking about Russell yep. Wilson. Yep. It's going to be the same thing with Witherspoon as a rookie uh, with Jalen Carter, you know, and and it is is what it is. But I'm, I'm really happy about that pick. I do want to talk about one other guy that you mentioned when we were talking about Jamal Adams earlier, and that is Julian Love. So every fan base, I'm sure, certainly in Seattle, early on, you pick one guy out, and he is he is the tar and feather guy. And that's been Julian Love so far. And Mike and I were texting about this recently because I, I haven't been that critical of Love. And, you know, I'm, I'm taking notes and writing during the game and stuff. Yeah. Maybe I'm missing some things. I haven't thought that he was so terrible. Mike vehemently disagrees with me. What is your impression of Julian Love been so far? My impression of Julian Love is for every mistake he makes that that really bothers you, like a horrible missed tackle to allow for a huge gain to get Carolina inside the Seattle uh, red zone, uh, he does something else that then makes up for it. So in my mind, it's like he's kind of breaking even every week, and I'm okay with that. After watching a defense that, like, for a while, you know, no offense, uh, to him uh, had guys like Tedrick Thompson. I'm like, I'm okay right. with a guy that isn't like a negative. Like that, like he might break out at like a net zero in that game. I'm fine mm-hmm. with that for right now. And sure. I also think that um, God, I feel like so many analysts that I love uh, reading, whether it's like Mina or whoever else, really like Julian. So I'm like, I'm gonna hesitate just yet to to pass too quick a judgment because like a lot of people love what he did with with New York. So I'm kind of waiting to see. Oh sure, this was a this was a what have you done for me lately sort of opinion, right? Fair. I mean, so I, this week there was definitely some redemptive qualities to his performance. Yeah. You know, he had that yeah. PBU. He had, uh, I mean, it felt like I, I tweeted this out, but it felt like every play he made was just when he was guarding uh, Hayden Hurst. <laughs> like that's just your, his. Your that's tweet, the skeleton your, key your that unlocks that said, his. Yeah, your tweet that said Julian Love when he's defending Hayden Hurst and it's a picture of Brian Dawkins. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> NFC East legends. But I mean, like in, in week two, I, the tackling has been an issue. Like the, yeah. the long touchdown. Uh, and it's a big Panthers deal when you miss tackles pass. at the back end of the defense. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I, I don't necessarily think that that was his responsibility. You know, Michael Jackson was thrust into action pretty suddenly. And, you know, it's probably a deep zone that he should have carried, but, um, you know, you got to make that tackle on the goal line. The, yeah. the one that stuck out to me was last week against Detroit where he attempted to tackle Sam Laporta on just a little hitch and he missed and also took out Devin Witherspoon (laughs) and allowed like just bowled him over and allowed the tight end to yeah yeah, exactly and I think that was their touchdown drive in the fourth quarter so I mean I'm optimistic though I don't necessarily think that this portends the same level of um, dissatisfaction throughout the season. I, I think you need to pick one thing that that seems a little unlikely or maybe very unlikely. And if he does this, you can't ever complain about Julian. Like you have to be team Julian Love. It has to be like if he gets, uh, you know, pick six 
and a sack in a game, a la, you know, mm-hmm. Trey Brown. You're like, I have to, I have to defend him no matter what he does. He could have six oh, yeah, missed no. tackles and I'd have to be like, it's just, it's not his day. You know what I mean? Everyone, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you have to be almost like comically team Julian. You know what Julian Love reminds me of? He reminds me of the green shell in Mario Kart where you just, you shoot that thing. And it is going to bounce around yeah. everywhere. It, it might take out the person that you're shooting it at. It might or, take you out, but exactly. <laughs> but it ain't stopping. And <laughs> you look, know, if you, you got some, it, you use it. Okay, that, you can't that, just let those ab- turtles. Absolutely, wrong. yeah. Devin Witherspoon, he's the red shell. He's hitting his target. Julian <laughs> Love, he's just flying around. And and maybe I'm a little biased. You know, my my brother-in-law uh, Jesse is a big Giants fan, and and really knows that team and he was so bummed that they didn't bring julian love back he was like heart and soul of the defense you guys got a real one so i I might be coming into it a little bit biased because of that it's okay i'm a little biased because we interviewed him he was so nice (laughs) i do that too i'm like if a player's really nice i'm like oh he tried you know like it wasn't (laughs) he's he's trying so hard out (laughs) there he's trying so hard you guys I think another piece of the puzzle uh, for Julian Love is what you were talking about on the defensive line. Like these guys just don't have snaps together. So, you know, it takes some time to gel, especially with all the pieces coming in and out of the lineup with injuries. But you get Reek Willen back this week. You get Jamal Adams back this week. Hopefully you can see them deploy their chess pieces how they intend to. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. I mean, here we are talking about the Seahawks defense. Haven't even mentioned Reek Willen, who, you know, was a top 10 corner in the NFL basically his second year ever playing cornerback. So, I mean, the fact that they've been this good, missing so many of the guys that that they have been, right? I mean, no Jamal Adams, no Reek Woolen without their two starting tackles. And I I do want to switch over to the offense here because I think there were two stories that you could tell about the Seahawks in the first half. You know, on the one hand, they had been moving the ball well, getting multiple first downs on every drive except for the first one. Mm -hmm. But on the other they basically malfunctioned as soon as they got into scoring range. You know, I I wrote on Sunday, it's like their engine had a kill switch that got activated at the 30-yard line. Like, they just stopped. Just bumped it with your shoulder. You bent over to grab something, and you accidentally (laughs) knocked it. Every time, right, yeah. That's exactly it, you know? Fortunately, we got the good version of Jason Myers, and he made all of his kicks. But it took the Seahawks eight possessions before they scored a touchdown. But after that, they were practically unstoppable. Uh, they had three touchdowns in a four-drive sequence. Uh, Gino had that really bad interception right after the defense mm-hmm. gave up a long score. And it felt like this snowball could start rolling here. And and it didn't. They righted the ship yeah. and ended up having a hugely productive game, both on the ground and through the air. But was there at any point in that game where you felt worried about the offense? A thousand percent. Uh, like several minutes uh, into the game. Well, first of all, I should admit um i was late to the game um so i showed up like uh near the end of the first quarter so i was listening to play-by-play and my favorite thing about listening to play-by-play uh from the seahawks broadcast is um you can always tell when they're having a bad day because dave wyman in the background you can hear him going (laughs) 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 so there is a lot of that there is a lot of like yeah (laughs) so i i knew heading into it like okay things haven't quite been going their way um, I thought that, um, g- given the, what felt like early pressure for Gino, I thought that that would continue from Carolina. But, um, I think that one bad drive in particular stands out. It's, uh, toward the South end zone. He targets Colby Parkinson, uh, for the second end zone target, someone else for the first, but it was just for, he was forcing it. Yeah. Like he's just, he's. Gino is trying too hard to get something done there and he's overthrowing and it's not working. They're not, they're, it, it, 
the vibe is not right. Mm -hmm. And I worried they are going to get into a place not where they don't have the talent or the scheme or the ability or uh, or the guys to get this done. They're going to get into a place where we saw, we've seen even this offense with Russell Wilson get into, oh, we have to force something because the defense isn't doing it, or we have to force something because there are expectations. We have to force something because fans will boo. And I worried with that particular drive, and yeah. it was, uh, I want to say in the second quarter, like this is going to get out of hand. And that was the moment when I got a little nervous. Um, and then you're right. Then it didn't. Yeah. Then they they just buckled down and, you know, credit uh, credit Waldron for, um, I think, getting uh, the tight ends even more involved as part of that. Credit credit Ken Walker for being able to yeah. bounce outside when there wasn't space and, and get those explosive plays and, uh, you know, ease up some of that pressure on Geno from, from the Panthers' defensive line. Like, they just got it done. They did. They did. You know, and, and one of the things that's really – comforting about having this version of Geno Smith as your quarterback is the fact that he's even keeled, right? Like there, mm-hmm. you never get the sense of panic from him. Like he's fiery, but he's, you know, there's, there's that video that the Seahawks tweeted out today of him talking to Jackson Smith and Jigba on the it. sidelines. And, you know, like that's exactly what it is that, you know, you want to see from the leader because like we say on the show all the time when you're the quarterback for an nfl franchise you're not just the most important player on the field you're the face of a five billion dollar organization you're the de facto ceo and the teams are going to go as you go and so to see that from i remember you know i was i was in phoenix watching the game at a cigar lounge down there and there's one other seahawks fan there and he was feeling the same thing he's just kind of like Saying like, oh, here we go, They're and all this stuff. This. And he and I were talking, and I, I swear to you, this is true. I was like, look, I'm not worried about that with this quarterback. Like, I'm really not. I bet you he writes the ship and has a great rest of the game. And he ended up making me look good. I thought, you know, he finished with with really nice numbers. Yeah. And here he is. He's back in the top ten of every meaningful category for quarterbacks in the NFL. And it's like he's the same guy he was last year. Yeah, which is such um. We went from having Gino, uh, obviously initially, whether or not he'd sign that contract or would they be able to retain him. We went from having Gino Smith as the biggest offseason story to immediately once that was done being like, okay, Gino's taken care of anyways. Like, you know, what else yeah. is going on? But really, it continued to be true that one of the biggest stories that, that you know, we all just didn't talk about enough was can Gino keep doing this? Because ultimately, as the quarterback, the team goes where you go, Right. Look at the the difference in outlook for the Jets with Aaron Rodgers and Zach Wilson. Like it is about the quarterback. It's the most important position in sports. And it's for that reason. So, you know, I think that there were a very uh, notable number of people that wondered whether there would be real regression from Gino, which I don't know that I thought would happen just because it's not like Gino was a starter and was bad and then had one off year where he was good. Gino was a backup to players who never got injured. Like he was a backup to players who never missed games. And, and obviously Rivers, Manning, and, and Wilson. When are you going to have a chance to prove yourself? Like right. those, those three guys are franchise guys who are in huge contracts, right? If Gino was on a team where there was a quarterback co- like competition and it was open, or if he was on a team where there was a player who was going to be benched, I truly think we would have seen a, a fine version of Gino Smith prior to last year. Yeah. Well, but he wasn't in that situation. Totally. You can't hold it against him. Well, and we we forget, like, this guy was 
you know, his last year in college, he was like a Heisman contender. He's a he baller. was considered to be a first round pick. And then, you know, there were some maturity concerns that yeah. manifested, you know, as a young player in, in New York, but it's never been an issue of talent with Geno Smith, which is so Here's- awesome to see. And, and here they are. The Seahawks are fourth in the NFL in points scored. Yeah. Which I love. Okay. So I saw you tweet about Miami the other day. Our, our, the love of our life. Uh, Mike McDaniel yes. is obviously, uh, Mike yes. McDaniel coaching that team and, and yeah. we love him. Um, yeah. Yeah. How does it feel being in second place? Um, um as far as you mean you know, to dating uh, Mike McDaniel? <laughs> no, I, I no, don't know I that mean, I'm in second place. I think that, you know, what it is, is, um, I think I'm kind of like the, the, the end goal, you know, <laughs> I'm the great white Buffalo for, for Michael. And, uh, you know, right I'm, now, I'm just, just a placeholder. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh, I am in love with this team. They're so fun to watch. And I love him. He, this offense is just absolutely yeah. amazing. He's, he's but, the Jim helper to the NFL. I know. Uh, I saw you tweet that out though. I referenced it on the show today. I was like, uh, our friend Jackson, uh, tweeted <laughs> out, uh, you know, the, the points leaders and the Seahawks are fourth. And I was so shocked. Um, and I don't know why, I don't know why I was shocked. It's not like they, right? uh, you know, yeah, week one was a bummer, but then it was a shootout with Detroit and then they dropped almost 40 on the Panthers. Why am I surprised? But I think, you know, no game has felt completely safe and maybe that's part of it. Um, yeah. but they've been, so I think that's true of like 90% of NFL games though. Even Currently, with good teams. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, oh, definitely right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know maybe a handful of games have been like that game's over. It's boring. Like it's been kind of a yeah. weird start to the season. I actually have a question. So when we yeah. were talking about Gino and you were talking about him being even keeled, a thousand percent agree. And um, I was thinking it's so interesting because we're praising Gino and I don't think we're being hypocrites. I'm just now thinking about like, what is it? We're praising Gino for keeping it together, remaining cool, you know, just keeping calm in those moments at the same time. Russell Wilson was kind of panned <laughs> for being too robotic and keeping it too cool. Yeah. Both guys know how to stay level. What makes, cause I believe this too. What makes Gino either more believable or more, more uh, likable yeah, for a, lack of a better word there. Cause they both have kind of a similar approach with that. It's not like Gino's getting do. like crazy fired up. No, and I think most of the great quarterbacks are are that way. I mean, you have some outliers who were amazing and were really fiery, Tom Brady being the most um, obvious example of that. Yeah. But, you know, I I think that Russell Wilson had a really difficult time connecting with the first group that he came up with. That this was a true. locker room filled with massive personalities. And they saw a favoritism from the coach that I think Pete Carroll has learned from mm-hmm. and, and didn't take kindly to that. And, and I think that was part of it. I, I do think Russell Wilson had a much better relationship with the players on the 2016 through 2019 teams. Um, I've always said that I don't think his teammates ever had doubts about him on Sunday with Russell yeah, Wilson. Yeah, I agree. Um, I know that. I think, I think, I think, it was the Monday through Saturday stuff. I think it was the off season stuff. Um, with Gino though, I would say the difference is there seems to be a real connection with these guys. And, you know, when you would see the sideline videos of Russell Wilson, it was what you want to see, uh, never down, always up, but it was lots of cliche stuff. Yeah. 
contrast it with this Geno Smith video of him and Jackson Smith and Jigba and just like sitting down in his face one-on-one. Hey, I need you to listen to me right now. You are good. You are the best. That pick, that was on me, okay? I need you to still be out there. It's on me to find you. If you're not getting the ball, that's not your fault. That's my fault. I can't imagine Russell Wilson or most quarterbacks saying that. You know, I, I, you see, I mean, Geno Smith is on a Hall of Fame trajectory with his quotes. You know, his pregame, postgame quotes. Like, he says stuff that really resonates. The point the finger or point the thumb, not the finger. Like, just yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, after Detroit, we came in their trap. We took over their trap. Like he's, yeah. he's speaking these guys' language, you know, and and that's I think probably what the barrier was with Russ's. I, I don't know that he was speaking the language of his teammates to the same to the same degree in terms of just connecting with them on on a human level. But I've never doubted yeah. the Sunday mentality of Russell Wilson, like ever, even when he struggled. Oh, that's such a good point. You've managed to perfectly articulate how I feel without me being able to do it. Because <laughs> I, I was, I was like, man, I feel like I've maybe panned Russell Wilson for exactly what I'm saying about Gino, but I feel uh-huh. so different. I, I feel, does feel different about it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about JSN here a little bit since we mentioned him a couple of times. I still think he's the best receiver from that draft class, but he has what's he got like 37 receiving yards yeah, through three quiet. games. He had two targets in this game. He had a a 10 yard bubble screen on like third and 18 kind of meaningless plays. Only other target was the interception. Um, Are you worried about his lack of involvement so far? No, no, not at all. Not yet. Um, I think that there's always going to be a fear with any investment in a first round pick is an investment that you've made a risk that you can't, you know, have come back to help you, right? Like if he was a seventh rounder, no one would care. Um, but like, did I have Jake Bobo getting a touchdown before uh, JSN? I did not have that on my 2023 bingo card. Well, that's but on you. First rookie I know, that's Jackson on me. to score. I, play, I played myself. <laughs> I played myself. But, uh, but no, I mean, because you got to think too, like this guy, you guys at camp looked so good. Like he looked so, we talked to Artie Burns about him. And Artie Burns used the word that was exactly the word that I heard used most about him, which was smooth. He looks smooth. Like, and then he got hurt. And then he had wrist surgery. And then he came right back out. And we didn't even know, guys, if he would play week one. You know what I mean? So I think right. that because he jumped right, right back into it and, um, you know, didn't miss actual games, we're just thinking, like, oh, he's going to pick up from training camp. And it's like, hang on a minute. This guy just had surgery. He also is on an offense where, you know, he's going to be compared to Zay Flowers, obviously. There are more weapons for Geno Smith in Seattle than there are for Lamar. And it's not to say that, you know, I think Baltimore is going to be really solid, but like they frankly need Zay more right now than Seattle needs Jackson. Absolutely true. And, you know, I, I try real hard not to read too much into 30 second social media clips, but it, it looked clear that, Smith and Jigbo was feeling down on the sidelines, yeah, which is yeah. fine. That's human. That's okay. And that's, and that's where a guy like Gino comes in. What I'd like to see moving forward, however, is getting him a couple of layups early in the game. Instead of waiting for him to force his way into the game plan, give him the confidence, give him a couple of easy ones early in the game. First mm-hmm. couple of drives, target him two or three times, make a point of it. You're scripting those plays anyway. And he's shown that he can play throughout the formation put him in a situation where he gets the ball in his hands, can get a first down or two and feel like he is a part of this offense because 
we hear former players talk about it all the time, the need to get into rhythm, right? Yeah. It's, it's not like, you know, you can't just bring an NBA player off of the bench and expect them to just start making shots right away. Like it takes rhythm. Uh, you hear running backs talk about how they got to get yep. hit a couple of times before they can break a big run. They're feeling out the game and he's never played in the NFL before this, you know, he played in some big time college games, but I mean, at Ohio state, all those guys were just wide open all the time. And that's no knock on, on Smith and Jigba's incredible collegiate production. It's just the fact is being that open, isn't going to exist anymore. So how do we make this guy feel confident and feel like he's a meaningful part of the game? And I would love on Monday night to see them come out and just give them a couple of easy ones early. Yeah, I agree. And there are opportunities against New York, too. They're not a very complete team. They're a team with big question marks offensively and defensively. Like, I don't, I learned a very important lesson, not for the first time in week one, but as a reminder in week one, to never look past a team that is weaker than your team on paper. Um, So I'm not looking past Detroit. You're on the road. You got your own issues to figure out. That said, there are opportunities to do exactly that. (laughs) And so, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I'm here for it. We're going to get to that Giants game in a minute, but I want to talk about a couple of other things here. Uh, one, the running backs. You mentioned Ken Walker earlier, and this is another thing that that I wrote about in the Scar Thoughts article was Ken Walker faced a lot of doubts this offseason, which is crazy yeah. coming off a thousand yard rookie year, runner up for offensive rookie of the year. The guy won the Doak Walker Award as the best running back in college football, and the things they were criticizing him for were you know, lack of success rate in short yardage situations, mm-hmm. not being involved in the passing game, uh, not being able to be on the field and third down. And the big one I think is he had so many rushes for negative yards, right? Where these guys are so used to being the best athlete on the field. They think, Oh, okay. There's only two yards up the middle. I'm going to bounce this outside and, and try and go for the big game. Yeah. He is picking his spots with that so much better this year. Like yes. he still has a couple of those runs every week, but there was one in the early fourth quarter of this last game where he took a handoff off right guard and there was nothing there. And you saw him like take a step to the outside and then change his mind and just put his head down and take the three yards that were there and push forward. And it's like, he's not giving up that part of his game. We're still seeing him bounce outside that, that one run he had where he jab stepped in and got down the right sideline. <laughs> and it looked so like good. the defender, like hit a trampoline going past him. Like he still has that, but he had, he was the second leading receiver in this game. He had 59 yeah. yards receiving. He has scored four touchdowns all from in close. They're not hesitating. Give him the ball on third and short. Like he's answering all of these doubts that didn't feel outside of the being too eager to bounce things outside. None of the other stuff really registered with me as like a legitimate criticism. And then you have them use a second round pick on Zach Charbonnet, who also looks great. Mm -hmm. And it was this idea that, well, it's a referendum on Ken Walker. And I don't think that's the case. I think that Pete Carroll just understands the need, especially for him to have two really good running backs that he can count on. And, And I just, I'm so impressed with what we're seeing from Ken Walker so far. I am too. It's so funny, the idea of it being a referendum on Ken Walker too. And when Ken Walker was selected and people were like, you know, oh, but you have Chris Carson. It's like, do you not understand? You can never have too many good running backs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If any team knows that it's Seattle, you can never have too many running backs. That position group has been so snake bitten and also so full of talent at times. And they haven't been able to always tap into it because of those injuries. When it comes to the critiques, I feel like Ken Walker 
um, has been kind of some of the criticism, some is valid. You talked about like when he chooses to bounce outside and, you know, when he tries to get creative and it's clearly not picking his spots, right? Like that is, that are, those are real things that happened last year. I also think sometimes he's almost punished for not being, I don't, a more traditional running back. Like it's hard to say he's punished for not being a Derrick Henry type. Not that anyone else is, Uh, but he's a little bit more uh, like an Eckler, a little bit more like a McCaffrey, a little bit more uh, like a Kamara. And that's not to say that he is. That's what works now. Exactly. I'm like, you can't simultaneously say you can replace any running back because they all get hurt. You know, you want to get him more involved in the passing game. That's how you become more valuable. And then knock someone's value for being a really right. multifaceted running back who can be creative, who can evade, uh, you know, pass rushers. And, like, you know, if you want the punishing hit, more often than not, it's not that Ken can't deliver it. More often than not, that's probably going to come from someone like Charbonnet. Like, he's yep. a very violent runner. Um, I think. Yeah, that, we saw that Sunday. Yeah, like, you're, Ken Walker is a great athlete. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I think that that's uh, that's not always going to be reflected by pure consistency, um, but it will be reflected by some pretty nice explosive plays, and he had those on Sunday. Yeah, he he really did, and I'm I'm just so pleased. And and maybe my favorite story out of that game was on the Bobo t- touchdown. Ken Walker was waving to the sidelines to get Zach Charbonnet in the game because yes. he wanted Charbonnet to get his first touchdown. Right, like yeah, that's cool. That to me is really, really cool because when it comes contract time, having those touchdowns matters, having those yards matters. And for him to say like, hey, get my guy in here. I want him to get a piece of this is yeah. really, really cool. And it shows remarkable leadership from a guy who is playing his 20th NFL game. Yeah. From a guy who's a year older than the, than right. the guy who is like yeah. mentoring. He right, right before that. Uh, he was celebrating Zach's run because Zach had that like 12 yard carry and then like just knocks the daylights out of <laughs> the poor Panthers defender in front of him. Yeah. And uh, and Walker is on the other side of the line. So he's holding up his arms like touchdown, like he's signaling, yeah. like he's freaking out, you know, and it's noticeable uh, because he's the only one doing it because he's, you know, one of the only guys who can't see whether or not it was it was actually in there. And then obviously he liked motions for like, get, yeah. you know, I'll go out here and put Zach in here. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but yeah, I saw that. That was, that was, he's got a lot of personality, man. Like the, 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 what was it? Um, the pickup where he has the spin move, he kind of turns and does the, are you not entertained yeah. showboating <laughs> kind of pose to the sideline. Yep. I was like, this is, I like, I love physicality and kind of like violence defensively. And I love fun on offense. Like that is the best thing to have from, from both sides of the ball. Yeah, you know, last season we had uh, Matt Nichols on, who is a, a really accomplished offensive lineman in, in college and and just kind of a, a guru when it comes to breaking down a line play. And we were talking about the value of a running back like that that's not going to show up in EPA. It's not going to show up in the box mm-hmm. score. But like a 15-yard reception is like everyone's like, all right, good play, good play. A 15-yard run gets the sideline hype it's the same number of yards but it's different juice right because those 15 yards came a lot more difficult than you know hitting an out route at the sticks it's like if you're making guys miss or running through dudes like that hypes everybody up so you know i i think that that's something that pete carroll and that honestly i think a lot of football coaches value about the running back position 
that isn't captured on the spreadsheet. I agree. And I'll say that also with special teams. I think that's another yes. reason Pete really values special teams. DJ had a great return in this one. And let me tell you, if there is one way to get your sideline amped up and get the morale on your team to bounce back in seconds after a punt, it's a punt return that like absolutely yeah. runs over a couple of guys. Like nothing gets the sideline more hyped in my yes. experience than a really big return. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Last thing before we get to the Giants game, I do want to touch on this O-line because that was my biggest fear. I mean, that yeah. Rams game was just a, a comedy of calamity. Like I was just, Mike and I were watching it together in Palm Springs and we were just like laughing. It was like, oh, oh, Charles Cross is out. Oh, and Abe Lucas is out. Like, <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, and, and then Tyler like, Lockett and Uchenna Nwosu. Like, yeah, let's just yeah right. Put your well, four of your five best players on the sideline in like yep. three minutes. DK gets hit yeah. in the back. Nope, sure. Keep it coming. And it's like, it's like, well, we get Aiden Hutchison next week. And so let's call it what it is. They do a panic signing of a mm -hmm. retired Jason Peters yep. and bring him in. And then Stone Forsyth and Jake Curran go out and play the game of their lives against Detroit. They were awesome again <laughs> against Carolina. I mean, this is a team that had 425 yards of total offense. They only gave up two sacks on 38 dropbacks. They averaged five yards a carry. Like these are O-line stats also. Mm -hmm. And I also like I, um, Andy Dickerson has done a great job with this offensive line has been one of the most underappreciated uh, quote new additions. He's obviously been there for a couple of years, but new additions um, obviously came over with Waldron. He's been a huge part of that. And I think too, like this is where you look at the running backs, you look at the tight ends, you look at, you know, the ways that Shane Waldron has been working with, you know, Andy presumably behind the scenes to, to try mm -hmm. to add to some of that help. Like, this is when having a, a more complete offense really helps. Like you have guys that can help out when you're short, your two starting tackles and last week, a starting guard, I fully expected them to lose against the Lions. Like I um, turned on that game and I thought this is, this is going to be over. This is done. Geno Smith is going to be bulldozed on every other play. You're this preparing for your week of phone calls on the radio. Truly. Yeah, I was like, okay, uh, let's see. How do I do this? Uh, do we go angry? Do we try to make it fun? Uh, <laughs> do we do we talk about like, hey, what should they do with the offensive line? Uh, no one likes that conversation. Like, I'm already planning a week yeah. of like, okay, so how am I going to talk about starting zero and two? Uh, I'm looking up numbers of like teams that started zero and two that like went. To, <laughs> it's like <laughs> went to it's the like playoffs. the first quarter of the second you know, week. <laughs> before that game on the Friday, I was like, you know, last year the Bengals were zero and two to start the season. <laughs> right, I'm already right. talking about it like it's happening, and they blew me away, and um, and they did it again. I mean, in a in a different way again, but uh, but I I do want to point to Andy Dickerson and with the tight ends and stuff for helping there too. It's been so key for them. Yeah, and and two tips of the hat. One to Pete Carroll after the Lions game. The first people that he shouted out in the locker room were Jake and Stone. And he wanted to make sure the team appreciated what they did on yeah. short notice. And then also to Shane Waldron for scheming ways to help his offensive line out. I I didn't hate Daryl Bevel. I didn't hate Brian Schottenheimer, but neither of them could counterpunch the way that Shane Waldron can. And yeah. I think that is so crucial, not only as the game goes on, but as the season goes on, as you put more and more tape out there for your opponents, the ability to have something else is so crucial. And Seattle has something else when they need it. Yeah, it's uh, again, I'm once again, stealing a line from bump, but he's right. Uh, the entire game is about adjustments. Like, yeah, it's yeah. about who has the best personnel. You got to have a lot of talent, right? Uh, but every team has talent and the worst team in the league still has ballers. Like, 
The point is, can you adjust? And that's when you look at coaching your offensive coordinators, your defensive coordinators, you know, do you learn? Do you grow? Do you get better? Do you add? Do you, what do you do moving forward? It was the most important question for the Seahawks after week one. It wasn't necessarily going to be, you know, hey, is this team a bust? Are they going to have the first overall pick and take Caleb Williams? It was, well, what do you do now? How do you adjust? Do you sign someone? Do you um, change up, you know, someone's role on defense? Do you have a really tough conversation with defensive players figure? Like, what do you do now? And uh, they responded really well in week two, did it again in week three. And every week, being kind of a more pessimistic person, I've left looking at, you know, a number of stats going, oh, they got to be better on third down. Right. But I also, they, for the last two weeks, have had to hand it them. to them. Yeah, have had yeah. to hand it to them at the end of the day. I'm like, hey, you um, you still gave up a ton of yards in week two. You also brought a bit more pressure, you know, and mm-hmm. you got a pick. You know what I mean? Like, th- there was improvement there. So what else can I say? Totally. That That's it. I mean, if, if perfection is the expectation, you're always going to be disappointed. Right. Right. Can you be good enough? And Seahawks have been good enough the last two weeks. They've got some momentum. And I think if you pulled Seahawks fans before the season and asked them what you thought the team's record would be after three games, I'm guessing the median answer would be two and one. It's exactly where the team finds themselves, even though the loss may not have been the one most anticipated. But like we talked about, it's remarkable. They've done it with a pretty crazy string of injuries. You know, they're, yeah. they're been missing a lot of their most important players. And yet they've won two in a row. They have a chance to get healthy with just one game in the next 20 days. Like that's huge. You know, when, when the schedule came out, I was like, fuck early bye. I don't love that. And now I'm like, <laughs> exactly that, can't, that, can't, that can't get here soon. Now enough. you're like, God is good all the time. Like a wow. Yeah, right, <laughs> a week bye right. bye. This is amazing. Yes. Yes. He doesn't always give you what you, <laughs> what you want. Yeah. Right. But she'll give you what you need. Exactly. Uh, but l- l- like I say, you get, you get that one game in the next 20 days, which is huge for these guys. That game happens to be on Monday night in New York against a struggling Giants team. And then it's mm-hmm. the bye week. Despite Seattle's momentum and the Giants' struggles, New York is actually favored in this game. So when you look at these two teams, what do you see? How well do you think the Seahawks match up with the Giants? Um, well, I think that uh, you're going to look at, obviously, a Seahawks team that um, – I'm sure you have the number on hand, uh, but they are what between 29th and 31 in points surrendered. Yeah, um, yeah, fourth in points scored and and yeah. fourth in points given yeah. up. Fourth most points uh, given up. On paper, the defense is atrocious. Yeah, they are atrocious. Not reflected on paper is the return of Jamal Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, is the pressure that they were able to bring um, uh, against Andy Dalton is uh, the big plays that they were able to get uh, against against Detroit um, at the timeliest, the most timely moments. Because that isn't always stuff that shows up in the stat sheet. It shows up in the final score, right? right. It, it, it gives the offense one more possession or it you know does something else. They're not limiting teams. They're not kicking teams off the field. They are letting teams, you know, move the chains. And that is always going to look uh, like an opportunity for an opponent. And I think that this team may for the time being get away with continuing to give all that up if they can still get those big plays and the one thing they have going in their favor and the one thing that like a national audience isn't always going to know is like i feel like devin's got one in him yeah i feel like i feel like trey might have one in him like i feel i feel like jared might have one in him like 
you aren't going to see that if you're not covering this team because, you know, who well, in New York is having a conversation today about Devin Witherspoon? Right, right. And here, here's what I think sets up nicely for Seattle. I agree with all of that is the way that Seattle's defense has been beat this year is through the air. And the Giants have been really bad at passing the football. I mean, yeah. just to be honest, they've been bad at passing football since they got Daniel Jones. And that's not all on Daniel Jones. But <laughs> here he is again. Yeah, I'm I'm no Daniel Jones apologist, certainly. But, you know, here's a guy who's basically averaging one touchdown per game in his career. Yeah. And he only has two this year against four interceptions. Now, granted, he's played the Cowboys. He's played the 49ers. He's played a Cardinals defense that's much better uh, yeah. so far than, than we thought. But I look at that team, and I only see one scary guy on offense, especially if Saquon is going to be out, and that's Darren Waller. And mm-hmm. last year, that would have been a death sentence because no team was worse at guarding tight ends than the Seahawks were. They've been awesome against tight ends this year. Tyler Higby did nothing. Sam Laporta had a decent game, but not as good as his other two. Uh, Hayden Hurst was pretty non-existent. You know, they've been really good at that so far. I think if they can keep Waller down, Mm -hmm. I I don't know how the Giants get close to the 30 points that Seattle has been given up. I'm smelling a big Julian Love game, guys. I don't know about you. I've always been, <laughs> well, I've always been really high good? on him. I've always okay, been very okay, high so, on him. My record would show So let's, let's, talk, let's talk about that. I was actually listening to um, Heath, Heath Cummings, who's a football analyst for CBS, uh, interviewed Mark Andrews this week. And he yeah. was like, okay, how much of this stuff that we think matters actually matters? Uh, you know, uh, contract year, um, the squeaky wheel game, all of these things I'll that we think like, Oh, this, okay. That's the one he, he said, Mark Andrews basically poo pooed all of them except for the revenge game. He no! said that is a real deal. And this is Julian loves revenge game. He is going back to New York for the first time from the team that didn't give him the money he was looking for. So we might have our Julian love game. A tiny bit of a Jamal revenge game. Never played for the giants. A little did bit play in, uh, in that stadium. If I'm not mistaken, uh-huh. No, not not like a revenge yeah. revenge game, but it is kind of like a. I'm coming back to a stadium. I'm you know coming back to a city. Uh, I love the idea of a Julian Love revenge game. Jamal Adams had that play a few years back where he literally just grabbed the ball out of Daniel Jones' little pigeon hands and just ran to the end zone. You know? <laughs> he like palmed it and, and took it in to score back when he was still with the Jets. He like literally palmed the ball out of Jones' hands as he was throwing it. Did you guys watch, uh, I don't know how many other games you watched. Did anyone uh, see TJ Hawkinson get the ball stripped out of his hands? I would love, yes. love that kind of moment of just like, yeah. I would I would simply leave the stadium. Like I would simply have to take myself out of the game. If not even I fumbled, if a ball was taken, stripped from my yeah. fingers, I would, I would leave. I, <laughs> I have to check out. Totally. It's like getting pants at a party. Like yeah. you're just not, you're not yeah. coming back. No, I'm like, I... I need to go. Would you rather go through that or would you rather get hit by uh, Zach Charbonnet the way he did that guy dirty on the Ooh. goal line? Oh, yeah. Having, just having... How would you rather get sunned? I would rather <laughs> do the one that requires the fewest amount of people knowing me, which would be the defender getting hit. Yeah. They're just going to be like, Zach Charbonnet, look at what he did. Right. If I'm the guy, you know what I mean? Everyone knows it was TJ Hawkinson losing it. Who took it from him? Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> Great point. I don't know. Great point. And these are these are you. such prideful individuals too, yeah. right? Like there's you just don't make it to the NFL without that. So yeah, that's great. So 
so we got an over under of 46 in this game. We've okay. got the Giants favored by a point and a half. So that basically equates to Vegas Even. is saying this is either going to be 24 22 or 24 23 Giants. What's your score prediction for Monday? Okay, I feel like I should go bold. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to say Seattle hits over 30 again. Uh, I'm going with a trend and I'm going optimistic. So I'm going to say they get 34. Love um, that. Yeah, I'm, and I'm going to say they still allow a lot of points that we see. We see some of the unfortunate trends. So I'll give like, do, am I going to do another 10 point difference? It feels too perfect, but I'll do 24, 34 again. Love that. I, I was tempted to do 30, 34, but I'll go, I'll go, I'll go 34, 24 Seattle. I think we're still going to see uh, the giants get their yardage. Seattle's just, they're not going to shut that down. Like in, yeah. in one week after, after having it as a clear trend for a while, but I think the positive trend we're seeing is big plays starting to tap into some of that pressure the things that you don't always see if you're just a casual fan looking at, you know, sports center after going, Oh, right. okay. The Seahawks won, but they allowed, uh, how many points? 30. Ah, they're trash. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. That, that's I'll go with that. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I, and, um, I'm so sorry for not remembering who it was, but someone tweeted at me yesterday that was pointed out what the line was. And he was just like, somebody talked me out of, risking it all on <laughs> Seattle to to win this game. And my my response was, fuck it, bet it all. Money Do is it. a social construct. <laughs> We're all just a loosely assembled collection of molecules. Death is inevitable. Let it ride. And that's what I ended up doing. Like I I put a significant bet on Seattle to win outright and and for the over because these defenses are combining to average 30 points allowed. They are 29th and 30th in the NFL in points allowed. There's going to be points in this game. And, and I'm with you. I, I, they destroyed the Giants last year. And the mm-hmm. Giants were better last year than they've been so far this year. Yeah. And they're not going to have Saquon Barkley, most likely. Um, I don't see where the points come from with the Giants, unless Seattle is giving up big plays and special teams or turning the ball over. And they haven't done mm-hmm. either of those things yet this year. So for the Giants to win, we're going to have to see a departure from what we've seen from both of these teams so far through three games. So all of that being said, 16, 12 giants over Seahawks. Love it. <laughs> I know that's how it's going to end up going. They avoided Colt McCoy my, this time. They're good. My, I've looked at uh, pages of stats that I have, and I have to say, I threw them away <laughs> because numbers mean nothing. <laughs> my money says 34, 20 Seattle, yeah. but uh, you know, my, my gut, is yep. saying this is this is going to somehow end up just being a grind. There's going to be like a snowstorm that moves through New York there while the game's being played. There will be some kind of chaotic playing. moment. Yes. It's going to be a yes. DJ Dallas Wildcat play will work. <laughs> There's yeah. going to be something. like it, There uh, had to have been like an equipment malfunction with Gino or something for them to run that twice in a no row. Way. Like There is no, no way, way that was part of the game plan. It's just, it was just a moment maybe where Shane was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I... um. I, I, <laughs> I was, I was getting a text and <laughs> yeah, fell apart for a minute. Right. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally. a preseason for me. <laughs> well, listen, Stacy, thank you so much for coming on. We love talking ball with you and we really, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you. I, I hope for all of us, but especially you that you don't lose 
any money on this bet. But I don't think Thank you, will. you I feel I feel really good about this game. <laughs> Thank you, Stacy. I appreciate that. Listen, <laughs> before welcome. we go, where can the listeners find more of you? Uh, you can listen to me every single weekday on Seattle Sports 710 AM from 10 to 2. And you can also find me at Stacy Rost on Twitter slash X.com, I guess. Still getting used to it. <laughs> yeah, us too. Still doing it. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for today. I think we're all starting to feel a little bit better about this team, and the thought of being 3-1 and one heading into the bye is a welcome one. And we'll be back next week to chop up the results of that game right here with you. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is on Twitter at, at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram and threads at at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok at at Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. And when you buy those cigars, reach out with a pick and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of this show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life, and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.